0: Stories, big guess the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge weekdays twelve thirty to three seven seventy CHQR.
1: Well, for the moment, we seem to have stopped talking about uh, moving Bitumen via pipeline. It's been a whole lot of debate around moving natural gas via pipeline. Uh, There's been uh, a real focus on the situation in northern B.C. where RCMP have moved in to enforce a court injunction uh, which demands that protesters who have been blocking access to uh, a pipeline construction site stop doing so. Now, we're we're in large part in a situation that, that does kind of overlap with some of the issues around the Trans Mountain Pipeline and indigenous consent. And the. Obligation companies have to uh, ensure that that they are working with, talking to, consulting with uh, First Nations that are affected by any of these projects. And ideally, then you obviously want to have buy-in. But the situation with this pipeline is that Coastal link does indeed have buy-in from all the band councils, but not necessarily all of the hereditary chiefs. So there's another overlapping issue in terms of, you know, who speaks for these communities. Uh, But these protests have been uh, latched onto by environmental groups who have their own reasons for wanting to block these pipelines and in the end block this LNG plant in BC, which uh, which stands to be obviously a a massive investment. And I think a lot of environmental groups tend to take a short-sighted view of all of this and just lump all fossil fuels together. Is there an environmental case to be made for LNG? Is there an environmental case to be made for these projects? Can these projects actually help us combat climate change? Our next guest says absolutely. Blair King is an environmental scientist based in Langley, B.C. Uh, with an interest in energy policy. You can read more at a chemist in Blair, great to have you back with us here. Welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: So as I say, I mean, obviously with this pipeline project, there are some issues around uh, Indigenous consent and unceded territory that, that come into play. But what are you seeing and hearing from environmental groups on this? Well,
0: as you indicated in the introduction, the big complaint is the climate's end. Although we are hearing some uh, people repeating complaints about the potential for groundwater contamination, which, as I've mentioned in the past, is simply not a consideration with this pipeline in particular
1: so what are environmentalists missing then in this conversation well
0: what they're missing is there's a common misconception that we live in a world where renewables are going to take over and there's no room for fossil fuels there's no room for anything except uh, the wind water and sun and the reality is that in our modern integrated grids the renewable energies, which renewable energy technologies, which are inter- intermittent, need to be backed up by some secondary uh, power source. And in the case, uh, and in places like China, that backup has traditionally been coal. And the Moving over to a natural gas or nuclear allows you to get a lower carbon grid with the same reliability. And therefore, the renewables are complemented by the natural gas. Not, uh, they don't actually compete with the natural gas. But the environmental community has this misbegotten belief that renewables and natural gas are fighting and that any natural gas you bring over will reduce the amount of renewables that are are brought online.
1: I mean, if we're going to move away from coal and if we're going to try to quickly uh, transition away from coal, is that realistic? Is that feasible without a reliance on natural gas?
0: (laughs) Well, the, as you say, you need something that is reliable. So if you're not going to use coal, you're not going to use natural gas, your two, your two major technologies then are hydro and nuclear. The Chinese are building a lot of nuclear power, but their ability to do hydro is limited by the nature of their community, the nature of their country, and the, t- and the types of rivers they have. So really the choice is coal or natural gas as their as a primary backup and as we know china burns a tremendous amount of coal and so trying to get them off coal is one of the ways we can quickly reduce the amount of emissions that are coming out of china and thus reduce global emissions
1: right and that's important to consider because uh this lng plant on the west coast is intended uh to export to to asia isn't it
0: Yes, exactly. And actually, the one other feature that I discussed uh, a bit is that the Chinese are trying to get off coal for a whole different reason, which is air quality. And as a consequence, they are building these natural gas power facilities in places like Beijing, where they've had historic air quality problems. And so they need natural gas to burn in those facilities. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is because China doesn't have a domestic natural gas capacity, what they're instead doing is turning coal into natural gas, uh, what's called synthetic natural gas, and then burning that synthetic natural gas so they can get power that doesn't give off the smog that causes all the air quality complaints and makes everyone sick.
1: What are the implications of that?
0: Well, as you can imagine, if you're the, the act of converting coal to natural gas is very energetic it needs a lot of power and so they end up burning a huge you uh, generating a huge amount of emissions to create the natural gas which they then burn in these plants and so if Canadian natural gas replaces this synthetic natural gas that they're using already it has the potential to massively decrease the amount of carbon dioxide emissions going off from China
1: Another argument you've noted is that even if it's a a laudable goal to get uh, China moving in the direction of using more natural gas, that it doesn't need to be Canada. It could be the U.S. It can be Australia even. But why do you think Canada is is well positioned uh, to, to service this demand? Well, Canada
0: has a pretty BC in particular, but Canada has a very good record of maintaining high quality natural gas facilities that have very little leakage and that have much lower emissions. The the biggest exporter of gas in the world is Qatar and they produce the stuff at a high, high rate, but they also have a very high emissions. In Canada, to produce this, one of the benefits that they're looking at in our BC environment is using the large amount of hydroelectricity we have to use Hydro to do a lot of the, the steps. Traditionally, to make uh, natural liquid natural gas, you burn off a huge amount of your gaseous material to actually, to to make the liquefaction ha- step happen. In BC, we can do that using the hydroelectricity, which reduces our the emissions by a tremendous amount. Basically, BC LNG has eighty percent. Of the emissions of Australian or uh, Qatari uh, natural gas. So ours is just plain cleaner.
1: In terms of building this facility and the infrastructure and our own emissions, uh, as you've noted before, there, there are some in Canada who have. Uh, suggested that this is uh, a negative for Canada's emissions, that, that some have even, uh, as you pointed out, referred to LNG Canada as a carbon bomb or a form of climate change denial, some, some pretty extreme rhetoric. Um, what do the facts tell us about the emissions associated with building this kind of a facility?
0: Well, the reality is that they, that a big facility like LNG Canada is probably going to produce at its peak about 10 uh, megatons of carbon a year, which is huge in light of BC's current emissions somewhere between 60 and 70 uh, megatons a year. But it's tiny in respect to the Chinese numbers. And so if we can, by generating 10 uh, 10 megatons reduced Chinese generation by 15 megatons, then... globally we can reduce the number by five uh, the the number in the atmosphere by five megatons the challenge we face is that the paris agreement that we've signed doesn't acknowledge that we move things across borders and so it looks at one border and says canada's producing 10 megatons and it doesn't count against us the five megatons we would save in china and there therein lies the challenge is we have political leaders who have who have bound themselves to a requirement to meet Paris Agreement uh, commitments where those Paris Agreement commitments are run contrary to good environmental policy that will help reduce global emissions.
1: Yeah, which seems counterintuitive, right? I mean, we're, we're so often told that this is a global problem, and yet this agreement, in a weird way, doesn't look at it that way.
0: And this is, a, this is a classic challenge with uh, these types of agreements, is when they were negotiated, they didn't think about that. But what's happened as a consequence is if you take a look... Uh, mo- most of the big manufacturing in the United States has moved away. It's no longer ha- The Americans uh, import all this manufactured goods with all the embedded carbon from places like China and Vietnam and the like, which have lower standards because they don't have the carbon requirements. We essentially have offshored our carbon emissions and uh, so that we can look good even though global numbers go up.
1: So as you say, I mean, there, there is a, a very strong environmental case to be made for LNG and moving in this direction. Um, but, you know, as we alluded to at the outset, I mean, you know, a lot of environmental groups or, or, you know, policy groups on the left still basically lump all fossil fuels together, that there still seems to be, I guess if we want to use the word denial, denial that, that natural gas is a much cleaner fuel.
0: Well, it's, it's not so much denial as ignorance. The if When I wrote uh, about synthetic natural gas on my blog, I was getting all these people asking what I was talking about. And it's, it's not that people are deliberately misleading in some cases, it's that they simply don't uh, the people we're talking about the activists are social scientists political scientists they're people who haven't got a natural science or energy backgrounds and as a consequence they just don't know they've lived they've their media studies and uh, people who don't have the background and so are unaware of a lot of the details on these topics about which they opine
1: well, it is uh, an important issue. Much more at AChemistInLangley.net. Blair, always appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for joining us here today. And thanks for having me. All right, take care. That is uh, Blair King, an environmental scientist uh, with an interest in energy policy, uh, making the environmental case for LNG and specifically building this LNG Canada facility and all of the supporting infrastructure, which would obviously include this coastal gas pipeline.